New Desk, New Me. They are uh, not related. Hey, Zach. Hey, Sirtis. So, uh, September is is nearly upon us now. Uh, the time is practically September, uh, if you take a look at that calendar. Um, and you see that um, we're halfway through the month, which is basically the end of the month, which is basically the next month. Um, that's not okay. So, it's September. Um, do you know what you're going to do now that it's se- September? How are you going to handle it being September? Um, well... School's going to come around, and I plan to take way more classes than I have in the past. Really? Because I... Well, here's the plan. The plan is to start off with the maximum credit load. Okay. Which, for Madison, is 18 credits, and Mm -hmm. that's, for me, at six classes. Right. All three credits. And if I decide that I can handle it, then I will try again next semester. And if I do that, I can graduate in three years. Mm. And because I was budgeting for four years, it won't be a big deal if I can't handle it. Right, yeah. But if I can... It would, it would just be a fortuitous... Yeah, but if I, can, if I can do it, I'm going to. So I'm going to try and see if what happens. It's always hard to know, though, because you don't really know how... You don't re- I feel like you don't really know if you can handle a class until after mm-hmm. the first midterm. Yeah. Which is after the drop deadline, usually. Yeah, but like you can, you can get a pretty good idea by the second week, I'd say. Yeah. Do you have any of them that you're particularly excited about? No. <laughs> All right. Uh, there's a crypto class, which is cool, and I love crypto, but... I've heard it's like Caesar ciphers. Yep. So while I think it'll be fun because I like the subject, it's likely things I already know. But who cares, right? Then it's basically like not like not taking a class. Yeah. And so it's like except, you're just taking 15 credits. Uh, we'll see. Because <laughs> I might know this stuff, but need to do work for it anyway, and that'll take time. And time is Ugh. time is um time is time. And uh, time, is time. <laughs> time is time, and I need to budget it. <laughs> time is time. <laughs> How are you uh, going to handle this school year? Um, I feel like my last semester went relatively well. I didn't, I didn't feel too overburdened by it at any one point, except for a couple times when I put my physics homework off for too long. But the good news is, this semester I don't have any physics homework to do. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> So I should have a, a lighter workload, probably, because I'm just doing 15 credits. Okay, nice. But also I'm doing my senior capstone, which is as much work as I make it, and um, I set my own deadlines. <laughs> so that is going to be interesting and hard and uh, a workflow challenge, because uh-huh. as of late, um, I just kind of like have had whole swaths of days where I haven't looked at my Todoist at all. Um, so I need to start making that part of like a routine, perhaps, um, and not just trust myself to look at it because that's not working. Um, but routines are very hard for me to set up in the summer because the nature of my job is that there is no routine. So maybe maybe routines will work better 
once I get to the once I get into the swing of the semester. And with the routine will come the ability to do things with my own deadlines. Um, I've been trying to take a couple tasks and make them like actual today tasks because my today list is too large. And so instead of cleaning up my today list, I've just been abandoning my today list and making today tasks on paper. Yeah, actual today. There's right. Today and then there's today actual and a- today actual final. Today actual. Today really, actual final too. Really actually, this is what I expect myself to do today. Today. <laughs> Paper is good uh, for that kind of thing because it is not as uh, twistable once you write it down. Like it, it, it's not hard to make a new list of things you'd rather do, but mm-hmm. I think it is more of a commitment to write it down on paper. Yeah. Um, so that's been going pretty well. I've just been using a field notes notebook to keep track of that stuff over the summer. And it's nice. It's worked more than it hasn't worked. Okay. And the the places where it fails are mostly that I don't have a routine of any sort. So I don't have a time when I sit down and think like, okay, what am I going to do now? I just kind of like get up and... So instead of doing the things on your list, what are right. you doing? Right. Yep. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, I get that. Summer is hard. And sometimes I'll just like make food and making food, like I'll pick out a recipe and the recipe will say it's two hours, but it's not two hours um and so that'll be a whole day or a whole evening or whatever so i don't know i feel like my experience this summer can't very neatly map on to my expected experience of the semester yeah i think that schedule is important for Mm -hmm. uh maybe not I think I said that wrong. It's not so much that the schedule is important for us to get things done, but it is important for us to get things done consistently. Mm -hmm. Because, like, I think if I said, Zach, get this stuff done by the end of the summer, you would find a way to do that at your own pace. But it might be in spurts. Yep. I also am having a hard time with things that need doing but don't have a deadline. Like, that's what most of my today view is, and that's why I don't really feel like doing it. Is because if I if I want to play Stardew Valley or whatever, and I don't want to do all fifteen of the things that are sitting there in my to do list, um, that are like clean up your to do list. That's one of them. Um, <laughs> or like take the stuff in the other room to Goodwill, because I've been meaning to do that. But all of the times that I'm like, yes, I'm going to go take the stuff to Goodwill. It's nine at night, and Goodwill is not open. Um, yeah, I did that one. I did the research for this podcast. But but yeah, there's a lot of them that, that don't have a due date, and so then that's harder to, to think about getting done. And so the idea is then, by putting it in the paper list, it makes that the due date, but what if then I don't do it in the paper list? I don't know what then. Someone's going to stomp on your stamp collection. That's what it's got to be. Hmm. Would I have to pay someone to stomp on my stamp collection? It depends on how generous your friends are. <laughs> Are you planning to have a semesterly theme? Yes. I don't know what it is yet, right. but there is uh, certainly a plan for a semesterly theme. I guess I should plan for one too. Th- yeah, and right right now there's a plan to plan to come up with a semesterly theme. Mm-hmm. And that's how abstracted away from it I am. Right, yeah. Okay. On my list is to schedule a time in which I figure out what my 
semesterly theme theme is. I guess I'll have to do that too, because I don't I don't even remember what last semester was like. It was improv, right? Yeah. Well, you'll have to go back into the Worrying Bugs archives to figure out our uh, our review of the semester and a semester wrap up. Yeah, I guess I will. It's like See, a journal. We we record these conversations for a reason. <laughs> so one theme that I could have potentially um, is to only do things that are economically sound. I don't think I'm going to have that theme, but that is a potential theme I could have. I could like only do things. <laughs> doesn't really roll off the tongue like um, we like our themes too. Theme is the semester of economics. I think, I, yeah. I game out, game out everything and see what the, what the yield is going to be. Because if you're not producing a yield, then you're not doing it right. Um, yeah, you st- just start uh, putting numbers on your happiness and go from there. Well, I don't know. Is happiness a yield? Um, you're right. You should measure it by your gross domestic product. Right. That's how you should measure your happiness and how much money you have. Everyone knows the two translate directly. Um, but anyway, if I was doing, uh, purely, purely economics based analysis of my life, um, and I was in charge of federal highway funding, (laughs) I probably would change a way that that the highways were federally funded. Yeah. How so? Um so this is this is based on some research that I accidentally closed the link to so give me a second to pull that up. That basically says that a lot of people imagine that highways are like fully funded by taxes on cars and gas taxes and things like that mm-hmm. or um that like it was just set up a long time ago in the whenever they made the highways happen and then like they've just kind of been been maintaining them and stuff. Uh, but it turns out that less than half of the money that is spent on um, on highways comes from gas taxes. Hmm. Wow. I read one book of economics in my life. I've read one one book on economics. It was Naked Economics by some author whose name I don't remember. Um, and there's like four facts from that that I remember. And one of them is that it's a lot easier for everyone to be taxed to support a, a minority, for example, farmers. Everyone can be taxed to give a little bit of extra bonuses to farmers. Um, and that's like easier to have happen than to have the minority taxed to give the money to everyone. Okay. That was uh, an introductory economics book. So it probably does not contain all of the the ins and outs of everything. But as a person who is currently paying taxes and not using the roads, um, especially not the highways, I I would much rather that it was that highways were supported by the people who used them. Okay. You said around 50% or less than 50%? Drivers currently pay less than half of the total cost of roads is the exact quote from this uh, news release. What do they mean by drivers? People who drive. That's like most people, though. It exposes the widening gap between how Americans think we pay for transportation through gas taxes and other fees and how we actually do, which is a lot of um, federal transportation spending, which way outpaces federal spending in pedestrian or bike facilities, in public transit, anything like that. Right. 
So what would be an acceptable number for you? What percentage of highway maintaining and building should come from gas tax and whatnot? Things that are directly car related. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Okay. Mostly I wanted to educate our listeners that perhaps they, they were thinking that I was going to educate Jared. Perhaps Jared was thinking, um, as, as, this, as this report imagines that people do, that the money comes more from gas taxes than other sources. Honestly, no. Not, I mean, personally not. I, yeah. I just assume that, uh, in fact, most, I thought it was far more than half came from federal mm-hmm. highway spending transportation spending also i was about halfway through um being upset upset in there and constructing my argument and i realized that i had i had uh built a very nice straw man in that um i use the highway indirectly but like i'm a big fan of of getting things delivered to me (laughs) or even potentially having things be available in my local walgreens and that that's a that's a highway thing Mm mm-hmm that just, being you know, said, I, I do think it makes more sense for the people who are using the highways more to pay more for the highways. And they are. You buy more gas, you get more gas tax. Yeah. They should just drone deliver everything to you. Right. From the manufacturer. Mm-hmm. And then all the drones need to pay all the FAA fees. Yeah. And I don't need to pay the FAA fees. It's the drones that pay it. Yeah, with Bitcoin. Right. Because that's robot money. Right. And the robots just trade money back and forth, and we are left out of it completely. We just want a thing, and the thing shows up. Mm-hmm. Money is not an issue. Also, no taxes. We don't like those either. Right. Yeah. No taxes. Well, taxes, but only the taxes that benefit me. That's what I'm saying. Right. I'm fine with yeah. taxes as long as they go towards building bike lanes. Right. Yes. Yes. And if I don't want something, I want a swarm of drones to come take it away if it's heavy. Mm. Like, this couch, it's ugly. Right. I want seven drones to come and take it away. An undelivery service. Undelivery service. <laughs> <laughs> they, never, they never tell you what happens after you try to return a Casper mattress. Because once it inflates, it's inflated. Right. It comes in a surprisingly small box, but it's very hard to move after that. So I've heard. So, Casper invests in a bunch of drones. Ah. They fly in through your window. They squeeze all the air out with their vacuum, and then they take it away. Huh. That's you my pitch get, for Casper. I want 10%. You could get, like, a really big sous vide setup. Ooh. They just take the tubes. They just hook up the tubes and... Right, for the vacuum, for the vacuum bag. <laughs> uh-huh. And then you vacuum bag your whole Casper. Mm-hmm. Smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. That's a great idea. And then they, they bring in one of those, um, the hydraulic piston guys from the hydraulic piston YouTube channels. Okay. And they, they compress your mattress even smaller with their hydraulic Ooh, it's piston. it's like entertainment too. Yeah. That you, we'll start paying to return things. <laughs> Ooh, you know those, uh, the robot dogs from DARPA? Right. Yeah, those. They can open doors. So they'll just come up to your apartment, open okay. the door, let themselves in, growl at people who try to stop them from taking your mattress away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, reasonably, they need to be able to defend the mattress. Right, yeah, or someone tries to take it. Mm-hmm. That's somebody's property. Now it's Casper's property again. Yeah. Um, so we need to arm the dogs. We need to arm the robot dogs so that they can defend exactly. the mattress after they vacuumed up the Casper. 
What, what kind of weapon do you need for that? Is that going to be like a stun thing, pepper spray, actual firearm? I guess in a way, um, I have never interacted with a Casper mattress, but the way that I imagine it happens is like in a cartoon where if you like fold it up and then it just kind of floops out. Um, and so I'm going to continue imagining that that's what happens and that we don't okay. actually need to arm the dogs because we can just give them the Casper mattress. And then if they if they encounter a, a problematic situation, they can just deploy the mattress, <laughs> knocking whoever is trying to attack them prone. Perfect. It's like an airbag. <laughs> uh, shoot. Really what I think is that there needs to be more invested in in bike and pedestrian and public transit uh, infrastructure. I think we should invest in riding robot dogs. Right. Because they're for, like, all terrains. So we don't even need highways. So just, like, get a saddle, mm-hmm. get on the robot dog, mm-hmm. and it takes you where you want to go. We institute right-to-roam laws um, in the U.S. Yes. But only if you're on a dog. Fantastic castle doctrine that's so last year dog doctrine that dog dog doctrine dog (laughs) i'm just imagining like a situation in which you enter into someone's backyard they tell you to get off because you're trespassing and then you just hop onto the dog and now you're not trespassing (laughs) nah look at me i'm on a dog (laughs) yeah (laughs) the slam bros aren't gonna like that zach they want, yeah. Or maybe they will like that? I can't tell with the slam bros. I think your first problem came from imagining any group of people as cohesive in any way. Fair. Because um, I, I, no, I don't think it works like that. Well, what do you know? In my humble onion. <laughs> what, what group of people are you associated with that may, lets you make that call? Um, one time I went to a protest. And I didn't know they were going to be in the street. And then they were in the street. And I was like, but that's illegal. Um, and they started shouting things. And I was like, I don't agree with all those things. And then I oh, left I the protest. This. Yeah. Therefore, I have the right to make a sociological commentary. Yeah. Therefore, uh, my empirical evidence states that not everyone in a group is a part of the group. <laughs> Are we following up future fictions or? Yes, we are. Okay. Um, uh, so in our robot dog future. Okay. Is there, what, what's more likely to also be the case? Uh, that there is universal health care or that there is grocery delivery toaster robots? Well, I mean, if you're in the robot dog future, then if your dogs can go anywhere, your dog can go get you the thing. So you've already got grocery delivery robots. They're just dogs instead of toasters. Oh, that's a good idea. Seems like some wasted space unless you got... Oh, maybe you have lots of groceries, though. Mm. Yep. I mean, all how right. much of those dog parts are really all that important? Just, just make it a cargo the... dog. Yeah. Replace this leg with a baguette. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think if there's like a ship of Theseus angle in that. <laughs> there's not a good one. Dang. All of which is to say that last last fortnight uh, we discussed future fictions, and you had some very good points, and yours were a lot more hopeful about your own internal personal future fictions and the the ways that you saw things as being. And I just wanted to complain, and so I, uh, in my space of wanting to complain, was not able to hear you say all of the the cool and interesting things about 
your your per- personal future fictions. I don't remember any of those things. I didn't complain. I said, next time, we'll get to the things I wanted to talk about, and those things are complaining. Um, okay. <laughs> not all of them. Some of them are nice things. Um, I, I added this to the doc because I, I saw two things very close to each other um, that were like a very similar mood, um, and it was the, the opening to People Watching Season 2, uh, which is a YouTube cartoon series from cracked.com uh which is a very interesting place to get a hopeful message about the future from but the the idea of it is that they are in 2067 um looking back at 2017 and seeing what they um like what what they thought about 2017 and a lot of them are saying things such as oh well 2017 was so bad but it it was it was the spark that lit the flame and now, now things are better, and I think in part because of 2017 is the, the future fiction that they told. Without being all that specific, they were very specific about what 2017 was and very broad about what 2067 was. That makes sense. What kind of things were they saying? Um, a lot of it was, because this was in 2018 that they came out with it, so a lot of it was like the author's own reflections in 2018 of what 2017 was like. Right. But at the same time, it... it like it had some good nice things in it and very much when i saw it i was like needing i i don't remember when i first saw these things which is the the weird part but i vaguely remember being generally dissatisfied about it broadly (laughs) um and so the idea that 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 dissatisfaction was valid and that it could spur me to um something better was was very nice and very hopeful and something that I I definitely like attached onto and and continued to think about because um one of the things that they talk about in that people watching season 2 video um is that you need to imagine a better future in order to create one which is basically the reverse of the thing that I've been mulling over for a while now about building a better future by knowing what one looks like how is it the reverse of that sounds very similar um yeah it's the like you you take the order of the things and you flip them with the same meaning though correct okay yeah it's the the causality of it is reversed no not even it's it's just the sentence structure the sentence structure is different but it's the same idea okay cool (laughs) all right let's get to the complaining Um, there's another one that I saw at about the same time that was a message from the future with uh, AOC. And um, this was April 2019. So that must have been when I saw both of them. And it's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez sending a letter to her past self from the future. <laughs> I said they were very similar ideas. Um, and it's, a, it's, it's mostly about like, if the Green New Deal happened, what would the future look like? And what would they think from the future about now? Which is interesting that even in the even in the stories we tell about the future, they're very now oriented. They're very much like I'm in the future, but I think that the twenty twenty teens were like a dumb time. Right. Um which is fair, because I am in the twenty teens thinking that like the nineteen fifties and sixties were a dumb time. Um for for some reasons and a good time for others and and that's the the angle that they continue to take with this and that one's more focused on the green new deal and then uh we get to something that max temkin turned me on to uh which was this medium post survival of the richest 
just to be clear, your uh, your good friend Max Temkin told you about this mm-hmm. article. Yeah. Good friend and and Jared Max Temkin, friend friend of the pod, I think we could say. And it's about this person who I think is a professor of some sort, um, and and generally talks about the future of technology. And he gets invited to a like a conference of for rich people, basically. So he can talk about what technology will look like in the future, because that's his whole deal. Um, and it is it is a very good read, and I would recommend reading it all the way through. But the the gist of it is that it's just a couple of very rich people um, trying to imagine what what the future will look like by talking to this guy about the future of technology, but not in any way that's like, how can we make life better? Uh, how can we make more money? Not even how can we make more money. It's how can we keep our five lives roughly the same when the apocalypse happens as it inevitably will because we're killing everything. (laughs) Oh, no. Five of some of the richest people on the planet feeling totally at the whim of the apocalypse of the economic collapse or the climate change event that will trigger. (sighs) And like... Well, so I'm going to need a bunker, obviously. I've, I've already completed my bunker because I'm going to need a bunker. But then I'm going to have a lot of food in my bunker, and people are going to want that food. So how do I keep people from getting the food in my bunker? I probably need guards. But how do I get the guards to defend my bunker if I don't have any money? Or I do have money. I have a lot of money, but, but money doesn't mean anything in the future when the apocalypse happens. So how do I get the guards? Should I put shot collars? Should I put shot collars on my guards uh... so that the guards don't eat my food? Uh, unless I tell them to eat my food, uh, or what if uh, what if instead I um, I don't remember what the other one was. Let me see. Uh. What if I uh, hold all the food hostage, um, and so the guards defend the outside, and then I defend the food? But then, how do I keep the guards from rising up against me? I'm pretty sure it was Erectifs where they were talking about systems of government and how they have evolved to make more people happy. Like, back in the day, it was just about, like, you you got to rule, you got to be in charge mm-hmm. if you could beat everyone else in fighting, in war. Right. Which mostly made everyone sad. The people who got conquered and the people doing the conquering were all pretty much just sad. Mm-hmm. And it slowly, we developed better and better systems of government until what we have what we have now, which, like obviously isn't perfect but is much better than just going around trying to conquer everyone and having like three people be happy right so i suppose what i'm getting at is that in the apocalypse as it it seems to have been described as some just like arbitrary event that triggers uh a massive lack of resources in general Mm -hmm. that's kind of what's going to happen like, somebody's going to be in charge, but it's mostly going to be just conquering, and everyone's going to be sad. Right. And to the billionaires trying to learn how to to keep their positions of power, I recommend CGP Grey's uh, Rules for Rulers. Yeah. So, <laughs> were there any more takeaways from that article? Um, or was it just, look how awful rich people are? Because I agree. That the other, there's other billionaires who want to go off to Mars, and that's how they get out. And, like... What a terrible plan. Oh, my God. These are... <laughs> I, there's not enough resources here. Let's go to Mars. Yeah. <laughs> Idiots. 
probably let's go to Mars with slaves. Because <sighs> I have never known a day of work in my life, and so I could not maintain a biosphere. So anyway, this guy started talking. He was like, oh, yeah, um, I don't know, probably like Bitcoin is better than Ethereum and probably like, yeah, actually, Google is trying to put Ray Kurzweil into the cloud or whatever. I don't know what what all the things were. Um, and then he was like, uh, maybe instead of uh, shock collars, you could just treat people nicely now and think about how to make people happier now. And then you don't have the apocalypse. And they were like, you're funny. Oh, God. Uh, and so I think in a way, if we like collectively imagine that as the future or the even apocalypse? the apocalypse and the, yeah. Okay. If we imagine the apocalypse as the future. Right. And we, and we become doomsday preppers and we have our, our bunkers and we're waiting out the apocalypse. No, we're waiting for the apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Um, that we, we stop focusing on the things that keep the apocalypse at bay. And then we've got the apocalypse. In the same way that having a plan for what 2067 could look like if it was good allows us to point our... Oh, I see what you mean. Yes, that's a very good point. And so if the people in power are the ones with the very sad, very scary future fictions, it doesn't matter what my future fiction is. And no matter how hopeful that is, the the sad, scary future fiction is the one that we end up pointing towards intentionally or not. Maybe. That's one way you could, you could think about it. Weirdly enough, Zach, to do the most good, it would be best for you to have the most resources. That's a very alluring way of thinking. <laughs> but correct, though. It's like if these five people who were all very, very wealthy, mm-hmm. instead of trying to save their own skin in the apocalypse, tried to prevent the apocalypse in whatever way they see think is the most uh immediate threat i suppose then things would be better but that's not what's happening so what we'd want is more people like you with the resources of people like them right but people like you don't get into positions like people like them because once you have enough money for yourself you start giving it to other people right and that's not how you build wealth correct <laughs> not saying what you're doing is wrong but i am saying this is the reason that this type of person is wealthy i'm also not even 100 percent convinced that the best way to do good is to amass wealth no 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 for I, an individual that i was being a bit uh facetious okay uh, in fact it, it, no obviously not individuals can't be trusted uh, oh gosh no no but <laughs> Not what I was going to say. Um, yeah, no, you, that, my point was that you can't get into a position of extreme wealth without being greedy and selfish. Right. And I do mean extreme wealth. I have one other thought on the idea of future fictions, which is that I've, uh, you know, been thinking about it more now as we've actually been talking about it. Um, and I did have uh, a particular future fiction, a lot of them, when I was growing up, but one in particular was verbatim about a kid with a technology background fighting the DHS for unconstitutionally holding people. And that's got some parallels, let me tell you. <laughs> and I'm also not doing that. 
um, Little Brother by Cory Doctorow was okay. was about a kid in San Francisco with access to more resources than I had for sure. Yeah, fighting back against uh, a tyrannical government and a government that was that was okay in a lot of ways and would have been okay to him probably, um, but just because he was fighting back was not, and that I don't know where that thought is going. But most of it is to say that I'm not doing that. I'm not doing what the main character of that book did. Why not? I have college to do, dude. Okay. Would you be actively rebelling against a tyrannical government if you were not in college? Well, no, then I'd have a job to do, probably. (laughs) Right. I'm not being critical of this stance that you are not in a particularly rebellious mood. Mm. because neither am I. I don't want to, like, actively, I don't know, I didn't read the book. Uh, It's a good book. I would recommend it. It's literally free. Why are you doing college instead of rebelling, starting a revolution? Mm -hmm. Partially. I don't know where the revolution would start. Also partially. Your garage, just like Amazon. (laughs) I am aware that it's a fiction. And so I, even if I could do all of the things that he could do in that book, like the fiction has to meet the real world at some point. Right, right in your bedroom. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What about it is unrealistic? My, my intuition is to say <laughs> <laughs> that the unrealistic part is the, the speed with which he was able to get people behind him and the amount of people that coalesced okay really wish i could cite some evidence from the book that i haven't read your homework is to read an entire book (laughs) and also the book club book i have so many books to read um okay i don't is there something smaller scale that you could do (laughs) to to accomplish the same goals like uh, it Clearly, you share the values of the person in the book. Yeah. So why not act accordingly? And when you don't have to say the answer, because it is a hard question, Mm -hmm. but if you ever figure out the answer, it's something to think about, right? It's just like saying, why am I doing this and not overthrowing the government? Mm -hmm. He didn't overthrow the government. Or whatever. Maybe he didn't, but you might want to. No. Okay. I would like to state for the record, I have no intentions of overthrowing the United States government. Thank you. Uh, Thank you, the NSA. Thank you, the FBI. Zach out. So, like, just gonna get that job at Amazon and Mm -hmm. accept that you will never be as cool as the kid in Little Brother? I guess that's it. Yeah. That's my only other option. Yep. That's, That's it. Sounds good. I support that. Okay, wait. I'll take my gap year. Hey, there you go. <laughs> and overthrow the government. <laughs> wait, no, not was... not overthrow the government. I'll take my gap year and not overthrow the government. <laughs> in a more concrete way, though, there were ice raids in Milwaukee. And if that's the kind of thing that I'm saying I care about, why didn't I even show up to the protest? And that's the, I, that's the question that's a little more important, but a little less 
light than why am I not? I think his name was Marcus from Cory Doctorow's fictionalized novel about a kid in uh, San Francisco who LARPed a lot and whose girlfriend ate pepper spray. <laughs> I'm interested in this book. I am also interested in your answer to the question that you posed to yourself. Follow down. Follow down. I think that's All what right. they call that. I'll put it in my to-do list, uh, and maybe I'll get around to it once I have a routine. Uh-huh. I wrote down in my drafts, I told myself to try to figure out why I believe that cruelty is wrong. So I'll follow down on that as well. Okay. Trial. So last week's, no, last fortnight's trial uh, was to eat better. In some way, my way was to eat less cheese because I figured that maybe my my stomach would be less upset if I ate less cheese. Um, survey says, no, whatever's wrong with me is more wrong with me than just cheese. Um, was it cheese or dairy? It was definitely no cheese, probably no dairy. I ended up having a little bit okay. of dairy just because like I would eat a cookie and it had cream in it sure. or whatever, but I didn't sure. drink a glass of milk. Okay, so... Do you have a new theory? Oh, my new theory. Um, that I should probably talk to a doctor about it. That's my okay. my hypothesis. My hypothesis is that if I talk to a doctor, then I will have a better idea of what's wrong with my stomach. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. I got a peanut butter on this one. Peanut butter? I thought you were trying to eat spinach. Yeah. Yeah, that's the issue. <laughs> <laughs> um, for various reasons um, relating to uh moving and other things that are not quite for the show uh-huh. <laughs> um i my diet is all out of whack and i haven't had the opportunity to like cook for myself in a while or if i had to have the opportunity uh it just wasn't appealing i suppose so i've been eating actually a lot of peanut butter which is not super bad but Definitely could be better. Last uh, last episode, you were complaining about your kitchen. That's uh, on the way to being solved. Wonderful. That relates to the moving. Right. Don't be creepy, but Sirtis has a kitchen now. <laughs> I hope that's vague enough. In Madison, in a, ki- in a kitchen. That's where I am. <laughs> I've got a, a new goal for you. It's a stretch goal. <laughs> Over the next fortnight, we are going to be uh, trialing stretching. Just try to stretch, I guess. Do you have a particular goal in mind, Zach? Um, no. Just want to stretch more. Do you know how to stretch? Do we know how to stretch? Is there a, a way to stretch? I don't know. Is there? I think, like, you just kind of bend. Am I stretching <laughs> wrong? Ooh, there's, here's 17 ways that I'm stretching wrong, according to Cosmo. Oh, good. Good. I like to know what I'm doing wrong and not just how to do it. Here's five stretches never to do again from Fitness Magazine. That seems wrong. Here's WebMD how to stretch. There we go. Probably we want, like, Mayo Clinic or something. Medicalized society, man. What? <laughs> We've medicalized society. Can't even stretch without... Something being wrong, man. 
Spend more than 60 seconds on one area stretching and you'll move slower in sports and lift less at the gym. Good, I don't like those things anyway. Stretching when you wake up is bad. Alright, there's probably a good way to stretch. I'll see if I can find some information on how to do it from someone that isn't Cosmopolitan Magazine. Cool. Jared, if you know how to stretch, please uh, send us an email at trials at superawesomecorp.com. If you have any other trials you would like us to try trial out, um, you can also send the, that to us at the same address. Uh, or if you want to uh, tell me your future fictions, you can reach me on Twitter. I'm at... And now, a PSA from The Worrying Bugs. This is not a complete list of side effects and others may occur. Call your doctor for medical advice about side effects. This has been a PSA from The Worrying Bugs. So, listener, as you probably recall, uh, we were reading up to the beginning of Part 6. Um, yes. Some, some fun, some tense, some good. We finally started uh, getting to the part where Dodge is back in the scene. Yes. My brain always calls him Edge God now. I know that's not how you pronounce it, but that's... <laughs> right at the beginning, though, Zula was talking about um, how she gardened her social life by signing up for new exercise programs, which I thought was great because I've been wondering how to make friends as an adult. And so if that's, that's how you do it, I could always use a, a how-to guide. Uh, that's not a kind of worm Zinus really want to open right now. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know where Neil Stevenson gets his words from. Yeah. So, okay. So, uh, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but chapter 28. Okay. I just like read it and turned the pages back and read it again because it was like this, to me, it was this very beautiful, I suppose. It was, it was beautiful in a way that I found like when I was reading Ovid to be beautiful. This is writing that is just exquisite, and it may not be quite fair to compare Neil Stevenson to Ovid, but uh, I got the same feeling reading that chapter that I did while reading the Metamor- the Metamorphosis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, all of the all of the Egdod um, chapters had such flowery language. Um, mm-hmm. I know this isn't something that you like latched onto as much probably but i very much felt like um it, it all felt very biblical mm. especially the okay. he named them day and night and knew them as being good for different purposes is one one thing that i had highlighted which yeah, is like that's in line. the beginning there was darkness it's that like yeah right I, I thought about the title a lot more um especially through the egg dad parts because we know that fall has referred to the fall of the old internet but also the leaves are falling that was Mm -hmm. for like the first century of Egdod being in a place it was fall (laughs) and before that oh my god can you even imagine just static for unknown amounts mm -hmm. of time all of your senses are just so little input that it yeah that's just noise I feel like that's the part that was Dodge in Hell. Yes, yes. Um, he literally called it an eternity of torment. But also present 
some some French dude at some point said hell is other people. Oh, I remember that. Now there are other people in his little world. He seems mostly uh he's not like hostile to mm-hmm. them, but certainly they are like doing things the way he would not do it. Right. And that makes him a little bit upset. Mm-hmm. So then I I guess I was wondering what in in the concept of the title um what do you make of the title itself being fall or dodge in hell because mm, okay so it was just fall for a long time and then other people i mm-hmm. mean not really there were other seasons and then other people started mm-hmm. showing up so it i don't it sounds unintentional but it might be that he's trying to indicate that it can either be like fall all the time or dodges in hell okay yeah maybe i don't i don't think that's right though because there were seasons before people started showing up but i yeah I think the format of, like, title or whatever longer title is much more like, it's, you know, like, my summer or how I learned to stop holding on to my past or whatever the, the longer title is, is, is mm-hmm. much more like, if I could give this two titles, these would be the two titles. And these would be the two things, these are two titles describing the same thing. Right. So are you saying that the fall of the old internet caused Dodge to be in hell? Yeah, it seems like, just based on the title, that you can't have... One without the other, gotcha. ...fall without the Dodge in hell, which I think is very interesting. I'm casually annoyed at um, the fact that they can't tell how the brains are communicating, but they are. Yeah, I don't like that either. Something about encryption in blockchain. properties. <laughs> they all have decided on a single way to convey the information of uh, an entire world. My, okay, so I don't mind that the brains are communicating. I also don't mind that you can't tell how they're communicating. I do mind that you are pretending as if you cannot see into the packets. Because that's not how encryption works. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't make any sense like you can you can just not know how brains work and that's the reason you can't yeah i just i'm annoyed mostly at neil stevenson not because like he made up a technology and he made it up in a way that allows maybe it'll be important later that it is this way Mm -hmm. but i so far do not see why it had to be this way and not a way that could be more explanatory of what's going on Potentially, it's quantum is a good enough reason yeah. for the encryption to be indecipherable. It's not. No, no, it's not. Okay. Because the computer is doing the encryption. Right. And you know what the computer is doing because it's if you slow it down and just like if you do it in steps mm-hmm. or just like program it to output a log. Right. Yeah. You can tell what it's doing. And if that doesn't make any sense to you because you don't understand how brains work, that's fine. But saying we can't know what the computer's doing because it's encrypted doesn't make any sense. Because you made the computer program and you can just decrypt it. Yeah. There might be some concern that changing the program in any way kills the brain inside. Copy. Yeah. Copy paste. It's a computer. Yeah. But I also am trying to be less um, broadly upset about a thing that doesn't particularly matter. While it does not matter, it is 
frustrating because it, I think the story could have been better if there was less hand waving. Yeah. Because you're making up a technology anyway, you might as well mm -hmm. make it up in a way that makes sense. Yeah. On the note of things being biblical, um, Metatron was the name of the uh, robot that L came through. And um, biblically, Metatron is the angel who serves for humans as the voice of God. Hmm. Like, God is not something anyone can comprehend, but Metatron can be a conduit through which God speaks to humans. <laughs> I like that. Who is believed to be the ascended Saint Enoch. Nice. <laughs> All right. Well, we know how uh, Elmo views himself. And his last name is Shepard. Yeah. Wow. What a character. It's almost like Neil Stevenson knew what he was doing. That's really good. I didn't pick up on that, obviously, because I don't have that type of uh, biblical knowledge. But um... I only knew about it because I watched all of Good Omens in a week. <laughs> so that's what I've been doing instead so, of my to-do list. Yeah. Thanks, Amazon. <laughs> I'm interested to see how the um, like magic leaving the land kind of narrative plays out. Yeah. It, okay, so... Oh, you know what? I just had a thought. This is maybe why it makes a tiny bit of sense for it to exist on a blockchain-ish thing. Okay. So, as it stands, Dodge can't, or uh, Eggdod, uh -huh. Eggdod can't change things unless no one's watching. Or not no one, but f oh. few people are watching. All the minds have to agree that this is, this is reality. Right. Huh. Yeah. So, and that's kind of how blockchain works. Everyone over 50% have to agree mm -hmm. that this is what goes on to the blockchain. That actually makes sense. Okay. Cool. That's going to be my theory. So what do you think happens next? Uh, do you think all the hedge fund managers escape the, the woes of the world by doing the Pluto thing? I don't know. I do know that there was a little bit of foreshadowing about how Egdod could... He sensed that he could destroy the soul when they first got there. Oh. And I think he may get frustrated. <laughs> um, I, I have a sense that that's going to happen at some point or someone's going to try to destroy someone else. And I want to like, what does that yeah. even mean in the context of a computer program? Yeah. Um, they kick you off the blockchain. Yeah. I think it's hilarious that they put his brain on the blockchain just like as a, as a concept. It's not on the blockchain. It's communicating through the blockchain. <laughs> I guess. What do you think is going to happen? Well, now that you've introduced the idea of destroying souls into my mind, it's very possible that Eggdon becomes a vengeful god um, and, you know, sends a flood or something. Oh, interesting. Depending on how closely it follows, it follows some sort of biblical... Oh, he... Or... Okay. But per perhaps not God, but but like the devil for hell, mm -hmm. and everyone starts going to this afterlife. Oh, and Dodge just becomes the ruler of hell. <laughs> yeah, no, I've been because no one no 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 knows what's going uh -huh. on in there, right? It's just a map. Well, I want I want to keep I want to keep living after I die, right? So everyone just goes onto this blockchain in which. I think, yeah, I think Eggdot is likely to figure out how to change things on a whim. 
like he did when there was no one there. Hmm. I also think that Pluto's going to have a part in it. I don't know exactly how that's going to work out. Pluto's character is just so fun. Yes. <laughs> it's just so he's like, they're like, that doesn't look like the Isle of Man. And he's like, it's literally impossible. And they're like, oh, uh, <laughs> cool. How you can just look at this one map made of glowing lights. All right. Well, wh- what are we reading to next, Zach? Um, that's a good question. It goes from book one to book two. That's one thing to note. So we could probably just go to the beginning of book two. Okay, cool. Which in Stevenson's stuff usually means skipping ahead in time. By, By a lot. Yeah. Like in seven, e- in seven Eves, it was... Centuries, uh, Hundreds, right? yeah. thousands years, yeah. Um, I think it was interesting that they set up in the very beginning that a lot of people think that memories are tied to space. And he was saying that the one space that he knew very well was his hometown in Iowa. Hmm. And then as they went through further, that was the place that he replicated when he made a town. I have heard that our spatial memory is very, very good compared to our memory in general. Mm -hmm. I think that's some memory tricks I learned from the World Memory Champion. Your close friend? I think he like, yeah, 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 him. Uh, he like puts things, he puts information in places. Yeah. Not like literally, but like mentally he, when he thinks about his office or whatever, and he thinks about like where to put this piece of information that he's learned, he might put it there. And whenever he sees the thing, he remembers that. Or whenever he imagines that room, he also remembers Mm -hmm. that. So that's, yeah, I guess that makes sense. That's cool. All right. Well, Jared, we'll, we'll. See you on book two. Until then, good, 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 goodbye. <laughs> good, good, goodbye. Goodbye.